Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio Broadcasting once more. I'm one half of your host, Dial Lasoski. We're broadcasting on Saga 960 AM and the Carolina Coastal Network, uh, the Consumer Choice Radio Program. Uh, we've, geez, I think we've been going strong almost 190 episodes here. Uh, very pleased to join you on the airwaves every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. And I am humbled to join to be joined by my colleague, David Clement, who's there uh, in his suit and tie in Toronto, Ontario. Hello, David. Hello. How is it going? It's going well. Uh, I should say, uh, for the record, uh, decarbonized Ontario. 55% nuclear power uh, generating yeah. oh, okay. your computer <laughs> and microphone at this moment. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, eh? I think... Uh, you know, once I we started uh, looking into this, and David, we've talked about nuclear energy. We've talked about you know energy grids, blackouts. Mm-hmm. You know, we've looked at stuff. It really takes a couple of uh, peeks at you know some uh, some documents and statistics, and and looking at a couple of websites online, you realize like, oh, there's actually like pretty significant progress in a lot of different places and areas, and places you wouldn't think. Yeah, and you'd think that'd be like clap, 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 but no. Uh, we saw a lot of fossil fuel protests uh, last week. I'm sure yes, you saw the same in uh, Canada, Stan. Yeah. So, uh, Although those weren't the yeah, protests you, you, that made the headlines. <laughs> no, no. The big one's obviously in New York, and you've had uh, a couple other places. Oh, that's, um, not, luckily. that's not what I'm talking about, Yayo. Oh, tell me more, David. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I got a text from my wife a couple days ago. And she's like, whoa, something's going on at the high school across the street. There's like 500 people, and they're freaking out. Oh, no. And she's like, they woke, they got bullhorns, and they woke the baby up from her nap. And I was like, oh, what the? And, yeah, it was the March for One Million March for Children, uh, which are the folks who are protesting, in their words, gender ideology in schools. Um, and so, yeah, there were these huge protests, like in, this is Burlington, Ontario, um, at the high school and four or 500 people, one person arrested, um, in Ottawa or Toronto, we're talking thousands of people. Then there were counter protesters, a lot of people screaming at each other. And, um, yeah, it was, you know what? It was, it was kind of sad. I was kind of sad watching people scream past each other on what is obviously a very like hot topic um one that is kind of front and center for a lot of a lot of people um yeah it was just very sad it's very sad so what i did see is i saw in quebec you had the premier uh, francois legault uh who <laughs> uh so there have been a lot of protests in quebec as well which is strange, you know, normally social policy uh, tends to be fairly, um, it's not really up for discussion most of the time in Quebec, uh, but no. I don't know if you saw the Quebec solution, uh, he will, uh, I can actually use the, the term that's translated, but he said he's going to appoint four sages, four wise people, <laughs> who will make up a committee to figure out what to do about this. <laughs> The, the translation cannot be sages. He says, Je vais nominer les quatre sages pour faire une commission. It's four sages. So you, you say sage, which means yeah, like yeah, yeah. wise person. Whoa, is that like a special rapporteur? 
Uh, it's it, to be frank, it's yeah, it's it's kind of like a I don't want to have any political responsibility for this. So yeah. let me point four people who can yeah. take the heat. <laughs> good good luck to those whoever those fine folks are who are tasked with trying to figure out what to do next. I mean, the whole thing, like, it really boils down to like parental rights and the rights of children. And for the most part, what I'm seeing is like on the left, I'm stereotyping, but on the left, it's anyone who disagrees with me is a bigot. And then on the right, it's like anybody who supports this stuff is indoctrinating children and all sorts of ugliness there. And it's like, I don't know, I'm just kind of stuck in the middle being like, maybe you're both wrong. Maybe there's like some nuanced middle ground where like, it's not light your hair on fire on either side. Maybe I don't know. Uh, yeah. Am I alone here? Like, <laughs> well, there was a there was a response a response by I believe it's called the Federalist, and um, this is the the Americans. Let me find, try to find yeah, this link. Yeah, I'm. The... I think it was the Federalist. I'm. I'm. They're in my well, they're, tough. They're books one of right them. Now. So they're. Yeah, they're saying uh, essentially parental rights. Uh, so they're talking, obviously, not just about this issue, but it's it's just funny because you have all of this happening at the same time. They're talking about social media, mm. meaning that, you know, good parents, you know, would not have uh, their kids on social media or something like this. So it's always, it's all, we're all going into this new paradigm of parental rights as, as something that one group says doesn't exist, another is saying, well, and then there's always the, the Godwin rule where it always gets back to the Nazis somehow, and there's been some mention there of, of yeah, this. But can, uh, I, can I give you a quick aside on that? And I am going to break it. Godwin's rule. Um, and forgive me for doing it, but I'm a big fan of, and I'm just trying to pull this up here. Pull, pull the clip up, Jamie. Pull the clip up. Um, I'm a big fan of collecting. I, 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 think, I, I think I found it, though. Oh, you, we live in a dark moment. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Um, okay, one second. I think I have it. Sorry for the fine folks on the radio who are waiting for this epic um, comment. So, yeah, I don't love breaking Godwin's Law. Godwin's Law being, like, eventually the conversation's going to go to Hitler. Um, but I'm a big fan of collecting very old pieces of media, whether it's magazines or newspapers. And I have a, um, I have a bunch of newspapers from like the fifties. The oldest thing I have is a copy of the times of London from May 3rd, 1937. So we were going way back and the, the Berlin reporter for the times at the time, uh, responding from Berlin, writes a whole piece informing readers about Nazi Germany and Hitler's announcement that Germany's youth do not belong to their parents um, and that they belong to the state and that they are the arbiter of what is good and what is bad. Um, now, obviously, I don't, the people who, I, I don't bring that up to make any nefarious comparisons like some people are, um, but it is a rather uncomfortable trend because increasingly we're seeing people say, like, no, like, 
you don't own your kids. And of course that is in some sense true, but you are responsible for them. And the default is always the parents, um, or it's supposed to be, whether it be the UN level, you even look at the foster care system. Like the default is always back to the parents or a family member of the family, the parents, etc. And for some reason in education, we've lost a little bit of that. Um, and I'm saying that as someone who generally probably agrees more with the the left side of this debate and not the, the right. Um, and so it's very strange to see people perpetuate openly that um, that that parental rights don't exist. Um, that's a that's pr- problematic. <laughs> to say so, I was not prepared for a um, <laughs> a primer on gender uh, protests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the article I was talking about is uh, from the Federalist. Uh, came out, I believe, this week. No, big tech doesn't have a right to speak to kids without their parents' consent. Oh, uh, this is something that we've discussed on the program, David. It's about the Arkansas social media law. Yeah, yeah, but that's uh, which, not. Yeah, has been enjoined by a court, uh, thankfully. Yeah, but that's not. I don't think that's an accurate representation of. Essentially, what they're saying is minors don't have a right to speak to each other via big tech without parental consent. Right? It's not Facebook talking to kids. It's. Billy talking That's to his butt. Yeah, like, right. It, they make it seem. It, I mean, this is the the trap the right gets in all the time when it comes to big tech. Is it, they pretend as if it's not a platform, as if it's like a publisher, like, a, like it's Zuckerberg who get who's sending his morning newsletter video cast from his kitchen. Yeah, he's like, "Sup, <laughs> kids? I got the sweet baby Ray's uh, barbecue, making some ribs, <laughs> brisket and ribs." Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, you know the per, for the parental thing and debates. I mean, there's a simple solution. It's just school know, choice. Let's do charter schools and vouchers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> easy. Literally, the whole solved, government school business solved overnight. You prefer X, Y, or Z in terms of the education system? Well, here's your tax voucher back, and go seek it out, and the market will fill those voids. Um, I mean, what's hilarious is that in Ontario, that idea was actually floated long ago by John Tory when he was the leader of the progressive conservatives, um, was a school choice model. And the liberals at the time attacked him in a very ugly way, being like, yeah, do we really want to be giving parents their tax money back so they can send them to like Islamic schools? That was the line of attack at the time. Um which I mean, you couldn't imagine somebody saying openly now. And of course, it is, it is used in the school choice debate, but for Christian schools. Normally. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's certainly what we would see today. If if someone was making a serious school choice argument, people would just pull up the clips of the protests that happened this week and be like, "You want these people sending their kids to the school of their choice?" And it's like, well, you may not like their decision. I think the question is whether it's their call. Um, and and I think modern it, education through this like bureaucratic system of, you know, being um, organized by either local councils or counties or provinces or states. Uh, yeah, this is all, this is only about like 100 years old, folks. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it's been like this since the time of memoriam. You know, we had these these schoolhouses and like people in the neighborhood would just find the 
school teacher who's usually one of the parents, and then they would take that on. Homeschooling has kind of seen a resurgence. And this is the thing that gets me is there's a difference between wanting everyone to have access to education. Like education is a public good in that sense where everybody has access no matter who you are, no matter who your parents are. Very hard to find people who disagree with that. But we're now in a scenario where you have that, but you also have, in most places, the government as the sole provider of that education. And I think that is where we get a lot of these debates, whether it's over, I mean, you see it all across the board, same-sex uh, education, or sex, sex ed and same-sex relationships, if you're going back to our childhood, right? They had this debate um, when we were in school, um, religion in school. Not in North Carolina. Well, yeah, <laughs> maybe not in North Carolina. But, um, but, I mean, that was one of the big debates. You had religion questions about religion and prayer in schools, um, which obviously became complicated because these were publicly funded institutions in most states, um, and there were questions. I will tell you a story, though, about that. We used to have, uh, I think it was called Prayer Around the Flagpole. Oh, God. And uh, they were very, uh, I forget what the name was called, but we had like a church club or something at my school, and it was like, it was organized by a teacher, but they did it very smartly, and it was always like, you know, they'd have like a poster somewhere, but it always had to be before or after school, nothing during school, you know, voluntary. There was no meetings during classes or anything like yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, you, that makes you me uncomfortable. Debates. Prayer, makes you uncomfortable prayer around the flagpole? That's America, bro. <laughs> yeah, but that feels a no, little but... too, that feels a little too, the merging of civic nationalism and religion is like a for me that's an i know that's that can be very like red white and blue america um but that, but it's also your right to do so if you wish. oh of course yeah it, it making me uncomfortable um doesn't mean that it shouldn't be allowed or or, or yeah. like my well, david, uh, david my, we'll, we'll get yeah we'll get back to yeah. your bigoted uh statements here <laughs> Uh, here on Consumer Choice Radio. I do want to get into some of the uh, Consumer Choice news, the things that we've been yes. working on. We've had a number of articles, David, that I think um, you know do, do owe some, some look and uh, a couple other stories and uh, things of the week. So you guys stay tuned here to Consumer Choice Radio. I'll be right back right after this. And welcome back here to Consumer Choice Radio. Checking in here with my uh, colleague, David Clement. Dave, we were together um, not too long ago, but uh, as always happens every time we, we travel and meet each other somewhere in the world, we're, we're too busy to sit down and record our programs. So yeah. We're having to do it remotely. <laughs> it, uh, I think it's been a constant trend. We've recorded, I think, once in person over whatever, two and a half, three years. That's about it. I think we did it we, we, very early on in Switzerland, pre-COVID, in the pre-COVID era, as I like to oh, refer Oh, yes. To. And what city was this in, David? In Davos. There you go. I, knew, I had to get you to say <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. Since we're That'll already... That'll be used against me at some point. Oh, he's a good economic forum guy. God, I'd lo- I'd, I would love to. Um, so I'm... I'm uh, since we're talking about globalism and globalist conspiracies, uh, I got a good one for you from the Canadian left. Oh, 
Uh, this one's a bit fun. Uh, so this is a story that's put out by an absolute rag called the National Observer. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar. And um, I, I had a piece uh, this week about National Observer and some of their climate reporting. But um, this one is about uh, the present situation in Canada, which we might have to dive into relating to a supposed assassination and the like. Uh, but I'll give you the article and then you can do a little bit of explanation. Um, the article is uh, by Fawcett. Max Fawcett. One of the worst writers. Yeah. Um, and the, the article is, why do conservatives like Modi so much? Ask Stephen Harper. The article is ridiculous, tenuous at best, and based on three tweets. <laughs> and everything is like, there's an ongoing joke. And it's like Harper is lurking. When you'll see headlines, it's like, oh, he's in the background. He's pulling the strings. It's like, or maybe he's not. And he's just busy chilling and like, doing retirement things like enjoying the perks of having led good government for many years yeah, like, and <laughs> yeah. and and the thing is is that it, no it's not I'd like what's going on i guess i'll give the background here what's going on here's what we know so far in as tight a bubble as i can make it so Prime all right david uh, correspondent here on the ground yeah. give us give us the give us the lowdown here so prime minister justin trudeau says that the killing of a Sikh independence activist um, in BC who was a Canadian citizen was linked we're gonna leave him stone cold oh, dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah was linked to India um, those were his comments based on credible intelligence bombshell uh, bombshell statement that's a foreign power murdering a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil. It's about as big of a diplomatic crisis as you get. Um, everyone's left at, well, like, oh, whoa, okay. This came out of nowhere. Um, what's going on here? Pierre Polyev asked for more answers. Then we start to see some leaks. Apparently the Globe had the story um, a week ago and went to the government for comment. And the government said, give us seven days. And so they, and were they just hooked. rushed out with the announcement, right? And then they, they rushed the out with the announcement, yeah, to get ahead of it. Then a leak to, I, hilariously, the American press, not the Canadian press or any Canadian outlet, um, that the intelligence actually what, linking India to the murder uh, was not Canadian, that it came from the Five Eyes intelligence agencies um the united what states news outlet was that actually it was the associated press they went right oh, to AP a they went that. right uh -huh. to ap which is quite a choice um it's the agency and, standard yeah and so now we have essentially what we know is that means that the other countries knew right so they are not shocked by this australia new zealand um the UK, the United States knew this was coming. And it's created a real rift because this is egregious if it's true and like demands action. Like you should be shutting down consulates if this is true. Um, there's no way to do it, despite how uncomfortable that is given our relationship with India economically, migration, diaspora, etc. 
but the statements from the allies, if we call them that, of the five eyes, have not been overwhelmingly outraged on our behalf. And so we're in a bit of a situation where Canada is caught, in some sense, fighting above its weight class with a country we don't necessarily think as at or above our weight class, but on the global um, economic playing field, they certainly are. And other countries are going to have to evaluate their trade relationships with India and say, do we want to do the right thing and back Canada here? Or do we just want business as usual with India? And I think a lot of them are going to pick siding with India, which is really going to isolate Canada um, with our allies. And the whole thing is just a mess. And then you have a bunch of faux pas from ministers like Mark Miller was like, to set the record straight, the Hardeep Singh, uh, Hardeep Singh Nijar was a Canadian citizen and he was given Canadian citizenship um, in 2014. Or I'm, I'm mixing up the dates, but the, the year matters because it implied that the Harper government he, he gave did him too, Canadian. He did too, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it, it implied that the Harper government gave this, this gentleman um, Canadian citizenship, which was controversial. And then it comes out that it actually wasn't the Harper government who gave him Canadian citizenship. It was before that. And so there are a lot of questions. We don't have a lot of answers. We don't have we don't know what the intelligence is. I think we have a right to know what it is. And I don't know if we're going to get it. And it's a real problem because, I mean, we may have just had a foreign power commit murder on Canadian soil. Um that's a huge yeah. deal. Big deal. And um, what makes this all the more complicated is, uh, obviously, the European allies are not going to say a thing, because right now, Europeans are very heavily reliant upon any energy that's coming th- through India. It's not from India, but it is the way that people are whitewashing the Russian imports right now. <laughs> and yeah, you got a lot of shaky stuff there. No one else really has the might, and it seems from everything that we're reading, and uh, I think it's some reporting by the AP, you know, basically every ally is not really saying anything. Everyone's getting pretty muted. And it's as if, and, and I mean, here's the thing about Canada, at least. You know, we say a lot of things about the press. Uh, I think Globe and Mail has done a really good job in at least getting into a lot of stuff that perhaps should have been revealed by government. Uh, we're, we're mostly talking about CCP and China. They're doing real stuff. journalism. They are digging and asking tough questions and digging and digging and leaning on sources. That is real journalism. They are breaking Jeez. stories. They are informing the public. This is the, the way in which predominantly Stephen Chase and Bob Fife with The Globe operate feels like, and I'm being nostalgic, but feels like the vintage mindset of like the Pentagon Papers and the Washington Post. It feels like the mindset of um, of Glenn Greenwald and The Guardian or The Telegraph or whoever else published um, on the Edward Snowden leaks. It feels like real journalism. And that's been missing for a long time. And so the kudos to them um, for for doing the dirty work to dig all of, all of this up. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's why we, we've talked about kind of the future of media. And uh, David, we always kind of work at the intersection of that. 
And there's been a lot more on Substack. I mean, Sam Cooper has taken yeah. up to Substack to do yeah. a lot of reporting now. He's and, very good. Uh, we see that Sam. in the we see that in the U.S. with Matt Taibbi, who got the Twitter files, which taught us a lot. And you know, that all came because of good independent journalism and, and actually going to. A, I mean, I don't understand how Trudeau is not more cooked at this point. But again, this is an ongoing theme. <laughs> but this story uh, specifically is also obfuscating a bit what's happening with the China situation. Uh, I think generally a lot of people who are looking at this is, well, you know, these countries just can't go around, you know, assassinating people within the borders of other people. You know, who are they? The U.S.? Sorry. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you have this kind of situation and it, it's true, it's difficult. And is this all just a back way that Trudeau is essentially forced to speak up on this in a way that he could not control. So he's kind of in there. And then this piece that I mentioned from National Observer, again, I just have to reiterate just how thin it is because they're trying to say like, well, the conservatives here are on the with Modi, you know, because he's a populist uh, conservative fella and his party is in the International Democratic Union, which is an alliance of um, center right parties around the world. Uh, Harper, Stephen Harper, is the chair. And the evidence, David, for why the conservatives are on India's side is because Harper tweeted in 2019. Congratulations on your victory, my friend Modi. <laughs> I mean, that's so, it. <laughs> yeah, but if that, if, yeah, that's the thing is that, like, if that's the threshold, then, like, we go back to when Fidel Castro died and all the lovely things that. Justin Trudeau said about Fidel Castro. It's like, okay, oh, yeah. what implications this, are we are we going to make here? And this this Fawcett piece is like. Then he goes on and talks about Orban and Hungary and like goes way into it. And it's like the evidence for this entire column, you know, slash line of thinking is is essentially those tweets. And uh, obviously, you put that out on the tweeters, and uh, the the Canadian left wing mob uh, jumped are, all over it. Yeah. And, you know, IDU and how these things work. I mean, it's it's just like many of these international orgs. You know, it's kind of a drinking club. People check in, check out, go to speak once. They get a badge. It's yeah, I mean, not and, some international uh, conspiracy and, of something. No, but and don't get me wrong. Like, there are some faux pas in there. Like, Harper had a picture shaking hands with Orban not that long ago. It's like, yeah, that I, I don't like that. That is not great. Does that mean that conservatives yeah, but it's are foreign affairs? Yeah, you know? but th- yeah, but does that mean that or that the conservatives, because their leader who hasn't been around for eight years, um, shook hands with a bad man? Does that mean that the conservatives are beholden to the hung- the Hungarian government? No, I don't think so. <laughs> it certainly doesn't appear so. I believe I remember Trump also shaking uh, Trudeau's hand rather yeah. violently. Yeah, oh, I mean, what is that? Is, is is Trudeau soft on on far right nationalism in the U.S.? Well, there there is a uh, what is it a travel advisory, uh, which has also yeah. now been put into place um, between India and Canada, and it got escalated. Uh, oh no, Canadians can't get Indian visas. Oh no, correct. Well, so as much as you say, oh no, because it doesn't matter for someone like me, um, the diaspora here, like I I know of a lot of people now whose trips to India, uh, because they are of Indian heritage, um, are essentially like in limbo uh, because they were in the visa application. Because you, like, an example would be, you're born in Canada to Indian parents. What's something that's very common is like, 
going to India for a couple weeks at some point throughout the year, taking your vacation, going home, seeing family. Um, those kids don't have an Indian passport per se. And so then they are stuck. They cannot go because they would be applying for a visa as a Canadian and visa services are no longer um, available. Um, so yeah, there's can- a- Canada, the gold standard of uh, visa processing and, uh, <laughs> as well. has no, no, no room to speak on this. Yeah. Uh, David, the, the market just opened, so that's why I've got a oh, yeah. bunch of texts coming in. Wait. It's a good time. <laughs> Uh, but we, yeah, we got a couple things um, to talk about uh, once we're back. Got to go to break here. But I do want to um, highlight some of the great articles and things that we put out there. I know that you had this great interview on uh, the alcohol case with Matt Kibbe. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. I think that was a very good interview, which uh, debuted on X, actually. It did not come out on YouTube first. It was on X. Yes. Uh, first. So that was a great uh, interview about the uh, whole two beer a week uh, minimum recommendation or sorry maximum recommendation uh, that is now making its way down to the united states uh let's see what else you got a you got a couple out there i had my article on the uh, national observers and all of the ngos who uh, are not big fans of prescribed berms or forest management across yes. canada yeah. what else am i missing well, we got a couple things in the works some of it which hasn't necessarily come out yet um but i'm working on a piece that's about rezoning commercial buildings because commercial vacancies in toronto are at like a 30-year high like nobody there you go but uh we'll the get up-zoning. into that Up-zoning. Yeah. man we do need to take a couple victory laps on the housing uh portfolio at this yeah, point because a lot of stuff that that we, wrote, that we wrote about coming to fruition and now uh, a major plank of both parties in canada but uh, you guys keep tuning in here to consumer choice radio we'll be right back after this And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. I'm talking here with my colleague and co-host David Clement. Uh, David, since uh, I have monopoly of the mic at this moment, I want to bring up a nice cultural event that I participated in and see the direction that it leads us down. Uh, so I, as a very good and loyal millennial, went to go see Blink One Eighty Two this week. I saw that. I was pretty jealous. Yeah, it was a I great, was really uh, great concert you know sort of their reunion and uh, apparently last tour that they'll do together they've been broken up for some time uh, they played a lot of great hits uh, including this one I think per the rules I'm allowed to play uh, a song for I think less than two seconds before we have to <laughs> report it oh let, boy let me, see, let me see if I can uh, do this rather quickly okay so that was there we go that song. yeah um, so obviously it was a great concert, very fun. Uh, you had them all together. You had Mark, you had Travis, and you had Tom. Uh, Tom had a, a section of it, and I did put out an X post about it during the concert in which he uh, stated rather loudly, uh, he said, you, I was right about <laughs> UFOs. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, did he talk about UFOs at all? He absolutely did. And, you know, That's I was so good. I was following, you know, a little bit of this story. And we did talk about the American UAP hearings. Uh, but, David, did you know just how involved Mr. Tom DeLong was in some of this? He was up, up front and center. I, I don't know if he testified in front of Congress, but like he did the press conference like he was the face for a while. 
So uh, he was mentioned in the congressional testimony by at least one of the Navy pilots um, who thanked him for kind of assembling. Um, so it's, it's actually baffling. <laughs> and I think it, it just goes to show that once you have uh, kind of power, you've got money, people know you, you can do an interesting pitch. And I went back and looked, and it's a pretty fascinating story because, David, you or I, we work on trying to influence things in media, in politics. Uh, and he got up to the top pretty quickly. And uh, the little clip of music I played is a song called Aliens Exist. Uh, came out in 1999, Blink-182 album. Enema uh, uh, of so the good. State. Uh, I remember listening to that. It was great. You know, it's kind of funky, cool, you know, whatever CIA conspiracies, things under your bed. Uh, so it turns out he was always very big into UFOs. Uh, wanted to figure out more and then by chance got an introduction and then basically over two or three years was able to assemble about four advisors to his new organization called to the stars. And all of these people were former CIA, NSA, NASA, and they were able to coax these Navy pilots who had seen unidentified flying phenomena uh, out in the wild they were able to get them on the record officially. They got them into congressional meetings off the record or private. And then they were also able to get access to this video that was released, I believe, in 2019. Um, at least one of the, some of the videos we've seen of unexplained flying stuff. Yeah. So his organization yeah. was a part of that. They filmed a couple documentaries and his pitch to the government guys. And this is unbelievable. He goes to them, he said, look, I don't believe any of the conspiracy weird UFO flying saucer stuff. What I do believe is that you have a credibility crisis because nobody, if this stuff does turn out to be true or there's something, no one is going to believe you because it's going to seem like the government's been covering it all up. You need to partner with people to get out this information, disseminate it, make it so that people are aware it's actually a national security issue, not a crazy fringe thing. And let me be that vehicle. And slowly, that's kind of what happened. And uh, Wild, guy who's the guitarist. Tom, for... Tom, Tom DeLong, the hero we didn't know we needed. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of. Um, and I, got, I mean, I got to give it to him. Obviously, he had a bit of you know, money. He had fame. You know, yeah. They could kind of afford to, to sit there and, and take his pursuit to go to the next level. But uh, he did really well. And uh, he's been acknowledged in several um, congressional testimonies as well and um you know i went back and listened to a couple interviews and did some some research <laughs> uh so this, this stuff is cool but what a way to to get it and now it's a broader disclosure movement so it's just about trying to understand you know what are on the documents that people have and we talked about the theory that there's a lot of uh, perhaps some kind of alien craft that are being you know, at bases of military contractors, and where are those? And uh, apparently there will be a second hearing coming up in October that will have uh, UAP, and we will have some, uh, some good we'll people more? that we like on that committee. Oh, are you talking about, the, about Congresswoman Nancy Mace? Yes, and uh, I did pry um, when we were in D.C. to get some information. I did not <laughs> receive too much, uh, but just to say that uh, it's an ongoing, and it, it is true, it's, a, it's kind of a disclosure thing, and government is so complicated, and it's very related to that sort of the Canadian and 
intelligence uh, kind of things is you get all these competing agencies no one's talking to each other some things are incredibly compartmentalized when does it go to this level or that level or but we surely cannot tell the people that there are indian roving assassins in the streets of burnaby or wherever yeah right. <laughs> oh my god yeah, but this is it's like a huge uncomfortable trend of like at what point do you have to disclose information because we have a right to know right if our if our trade relationship or our diplomatic relationship is going to fundamentally change with a country whom we partner with so closely you probably owe it to citizens to be like yeah okay here's here's what we have we had some you don't have to name what other foreign agency was doing it but here's the evidence here's the guy on tape talking about mur here's the email he sent to a person in government like let us know fill us in please um i can i mean the only like nefarious thing i can see here in terms of why you don't want more information to come out is it could end up making the canadian government look rather bad in terms of like how did you let this happen and that was my first reaction was like who's asleep at the wheel and that's a to thought let something that's like still there it's persistent yeah well i mean because ideally the government is supposed to be competent enough to stop things like this that's the whole point of the intelligence community <laughs> but that that's the question and i think uh, andrew coyne columnist has kind of made that point is you know how is the government interacting with the intelligence they're receiving because i yeah. can i can already see a narrative being combed together that the politicas are the ones bungling it and the security people are the one and the intelligence people are the ones just like screaming at the top of their lungs however much they can in their classified skiffs yeah and the, but that was the thing is that that was the whole issue with the 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 conversation about china was the whoever it was the leaker was like look we've been we've been screaming at the government about this for a long time and they're just not doing anything and no do i want to violate my my oath to secrecy and all of that stuff um but i'm going to do it because they're not doing anything right it was like the inverse snowden it wasn't, hey, the government is doing bad things and violating your rights and you need to know about it. It was, hey, we flagged that these bad things are happening and the government's sitting on its hands. And so, like, for me, this, outside of the diplomatic crisis that's unfolding, this is just another example of the government sitting on their hands. How did you let this happen? Um, why do intelligence agencies exist if not to thwart... Um, crimes like this um yeah just leaves and a lot then, of questions and are you listening to them are you taking them seriously or do you care more about you know if there are uh the correct bathrooms you know in, in whatever town yeah. you know are you, where's the focus <laughs> no, no, yeah. of the government uh, sure in these circumstances yeah or, or or even worse are you filtering this information through the lens of how does this help or hurt politically? Like at some point you just have to do the right thing regardless of like consequences be damned. You, you just step up and you do the right thing. Um, you don't filter 
every piece of intelligence through, yeah, but like, is this going to affect us in the polls? Or what about this riding? And what about this community? And how is this going to look if we like, no, at some point, things get serious enough that you just say, you know what, this is bad. And there are, there are going to be consequences for this, but we're going to do the right thing. And this is the right thing because a Canadian was murdered on Canadian, or allegedly murdered on Canadian soil uh, on behalf of a foreign government. That is about as egregious as you get. Do you uh, buy some of the um, criticism from um, some, of the, some of the right journos, right-wing journos, um, stating like, you know, this guy apparently had pending charges in India you know, how was he able to still get his visa and then eventually citizenship? Because, I mean, I've had to do that now in two countries getting visas, and you have to do police reports and uh, send all kind of information. And you'd think all this bureaucracy and waiting and, you know, they're checking you out. Or is it just shuffling so between desks? I, I don't know. I can't, I can't confirm because I haven't looked into it enough. But allegedly he had had his, his request for citizenship denied twice. Um, before it being approved. So there's probably more to that story. Right? Wow. He's a very prominent person in the Sikh community, the, especially the Sikh community who are passionate about independence in India. And so, I mean, that raises the, the possibility of, was his approval more of a political move domestically in terms of the, the politics of different diaspora groups um, rather than the government doing its due diligence. I can't, I have no, I have no opinion on it because I don't know. I don't know enough about this person. Um, but at the end of the day, and this is where Trudeau gets into the jam is like a Canadian is a Canadian. That was his quote from long ago, I believe in regards to Omar Khadr, um, who was in Guantanamo Bay. Is um, Omar Khadr, by the way, is he, does he also have like a podcast? A radio show? No, no, he doesn't do. He doesn't do anything. Not to my knowledge. Okay, well then he's just he's just a tweeter because I've seen him on Twitter. Oh, Oh, you didn't know that? Oh, he tweets. No, I didn't know that. He's getting back in the game. Okay. Oh no, and he's just tweeting a bunch of stuff against conservatives all day. You didn't see this? Well, no, no, I'll have to look that up. That's interesting. Uh, (laughs) I do know that he took his money because he got a lot of money. Um, I mean. Did he put it into rightfully. uranium stocks like I'm about to do right now this morning? No, he uh <laughs> <laughs> No, he bought a strip mall. <laughs> okay. He own, he's like a landlord. He owns like a I, I think he still does. I think it's in Edmonton or somewhere in Alberta, but yeah, he owns a he owns like a plaza. Uh, he so he's money, a landlord. A he's part of the yeah. Canadian housing issue. But if uh <laughs> Well, no, no, it's commercial. According to your column, he could upzone, or you know, we can get that area upzoned, and it might uh, might be able to build some some nice little high density apartments. Yeah, there, there we go. There we go. Actually, that uh, would be the. Here's what Kadar should do with his money. There's your column, David. Upzone. Oh my, that would that would simultaneously piss off everybody at the same time. Which is why you have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah, Man. a little bit of uh, retribution money for upzoning and, and uh, doing new apartments. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's obviously a lot of news that's happening in the, the consumer choice realm. There's a couple things we, we have to get to next week. Uh, probably some FTC action on Amazon. Uh, again, everything is through leaks, 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 leaks. Everything's leaked. Yeah, everything have is no, leaked. Everything's leaked, and 
we don't know exactly who's saying what and it, everyone's off the record and all kinds of stuff it's um not very encouraging but i think uh, the glimmer of hope that we have from today's program is uh, that there are good investigative journalists getting to the bottom of stuff uh, that there are some positive changes and um yeah david we're going to continue to make an impact so I look forward to uh, to next week. Uh, we'll be getting in uh, October here very soon. Fall leaves, pumpkin spice. And, uh, I was just about thing. to say pumpkin spice season. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you felt it, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Mysteriously, and, some pumpkin spice coffee creamer ended up in my fridge yesterday. Oh, no. How does that happen? <laughs> it's like, that's how I know it's begun. It has begun, ladies and gentlemen. The creamer of the pumpkin spice is here. Uh, great season. If I knew what that stock was definitely pump it i uh, don't know it right now but uh, we're working on it david uh, providing a consumer choice to the audience so yeah all the best and uh yeah david let's uh, catch up next week all right we'll see you then <laughs>